Welcome to the Physician Wellness Lounge hosted by Dr. Yashoda Baskar, who is board certified in internal medicine and a diplomat of the American Board of Lifestyle Medicine. She is also an ICF certified life transformation coach and a certified money coach. This podcast features physicians who discuss wellness and balance within and outside of medicine. It covers a wide range of topics around this theme with some wonderful advice and practical tips that you can start incorporating right away to improve the happiness quotient in your life. We hope you enjoy this episode and please subscribe and rate the podcast wherever you listen to it. And now here's your host, Dr. Yashoda. Welcome to my podcast. Today, I bring on an amazing and wonderful guest who has also become a friend, Dr. Sandra Weitz. Dr. Weitz is a fellowship trained, board certified pain management specialist who started her own practice and grew it to 11 providers. She built a 25,000 square foot medical office building to house her clinic and multi-specialty ambulatory surgery center. Dr. Weitz also owned an anesthesia company, imaging center, as well as several other vertically integrated medical businesses. She ultimately sold several of her businesses to various partners and retired at 53. Now Dr. Weitz is teaching other physicians the business of medicine. She is showing them how to maximize their earning potential by leveraging their core medical practice to segue into other business initiatives. Thank you and welcome to my show. It's so good to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Um, so Dr. Weitz, if we could just start off by maybe you having yourself, uh, introduce yourself to my audience and uh, just tell them a little bit more about your journey from other than what I just read off your bio, what made you go into starting your own businesses? So you and I had a lovely conversation off, off the record. Um, basically, I started out in academics. I spent five years post-fellowship working for the University of California, San Francisco. We took a pay cut every year that I worked there because this was the late 90s at the height of the managed care market and um, HMOs were the latest, greatest thing and basically it, we took a pay cut. I had a one, three and five-year-old. I was commuting an hour and a half one way. My husband was commuting an hour the other way. And we looked at each other one day and said, you know what, this is just not it. Picked up, moved halfway across the country uh, to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And I joined an anesthesia group, a private group, knew nothing about private practice. And they had sold me a bill of goods. And I honestly, at that point, didn't really know any better. They, they said, oh, we need a pain specialist. And the hospital is pressuring us to have a pain program. And I'm like, oh, great. I was the director of the pain service at UCSF. I can do this. The only problem was they thought I was going to do procedures in the back of a recovery room. They had no actual idea of what a pain specialist was. It was a sound bite for between them and the hospital and I fit the bill of goods and I didn't know any better. Very long story short, I quickly figured out this was not gonna be a fit and said, all right, I've now moved halfway across the country. Um, if you 
it, I don't know where your listeners are, but let me tell you that having, what, having been born in New York, gone to school in Boston, lived for 10 years in San Francisco, Louisiana is like moving to a third world country. Okay? It was definitely a little bit of a culture shock. And so I figured, all right, well, I need to do something. So I started my own practice. Imagine that number one, I'm a woman in a totally good old boy system. I was one of three women who were something other than a pediatrician or an internal medicine doc when I got here. Matter of fact, one of the uh, neurosurgeons referred to me as young woman. That's not how we do things here. And I thought to myself, oh boy. But that was, you know, I, I basically realized I'm here. I've moved my entire family here and I need to do something. So I went off to start this practice when my kids were two, four, and six. And then it just kind of blossomed from there. Wow, what a story, oh my goodness. <laughs> I can describe it as an adventure. Yeah, quite an adventure, yes. So, I mean, you had to figure out very quickly how to start businesses, how to be successful at it, because it sounds like you, you know, you just sort of jumped in and got started and figured things out as you went along. Well, so I, I left this group and basically went to the hospital and said, look, you wanted them to develop this program. I'm, I'm happy to do that. I'll rent space from you. I'll develop this program. About, oh, a year or so into running my own practice, the practice was going gangbusters in part because I was the only fellowship trained pain specialist here initially. Um, and certainly the only one who had a multidisciplinary approach. And I'm going to segue for a second to tell you that, you know, I don't know how many of your listeners are into the whole integrative medicine, wellness medicine, um, lifestyle medicine thing. Newsflash that has been around for the past 30 years, okay? That is exactly what the multidisciplinary, multimodality approach to treating name your disease always was. Mm. So when I started that for the hospital, I said, you know, look, I do, I, I will see these people in my private practice, but I also need a physical therapy gym. I need psychological services. I need a procedure area. And they were like, okay, great. Only problem was that after, you know, about a year, so two years after I came to Baton Rouge, I had no more hours in the day. I was booked three months in advance. I had brought on a mid-level who was also totally booked. And I went to the hospital and I said, hey, I need to bring in another doc. Can you help me with a salary guarantee or do something? I'm making all this money for you. Can we form a joint venture? What, what can we do to facilitate this? And they basically said, we are the thousand bed hospital in town and we don't need to do anything. You are on your own. And I went, okay, I'm on my own. If I'm on my own, then I might as well be on my own. I'm going to leave and build my own building. And from there, brought on the next two docs uh, and then a couple of mid-levels and built an ambulatory surgery center. And then we just got busier and it just kind of snowballed from there because 
you know, when you take on a new project, if you take it on in bite-sized pieces that are handleable and you learn how to do the small thing, then it becomes much easier to scale it as you go. Right, right, yeah. Well, you know, you I have to say, you make it sound pretty easy, but I can bet you it was nothing easy, especially with three young children. And your husband is a physician too, right? So, I mean, you must have been spending, I don't know how many hours a day just building up this business. It's So, you know, it's, it was really about trying to figure out what my priorities. Yes. Mm. Okay. Um, number one, I think that doctors are very good at delayed gratification. Okay. Yes. So let, let me tackle the, the elephant in the room first. Yes. And please. that is, you know, my practice initially made money, but I didn't take that money and go buy a fancy X, Y, and Z, right? As a matter of fact, it's now 23 years later and I'm still driving my 1999 Honda Accord. I love that, it's fantastic, yes. (laughs) But what I did was I realized that I needed to invest my, the surplus, just like you would invest in the stock market, just like you would invest you know, everybody uh, in our Facebook groups is like, oh, how many real estate doors do you have? You know what? I reinvested my money from my practice into my practice by bringing on new providers, by bringing on new service lines. So instead of spending, 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 I spent, but I, I spent in order to grow those to grow the rest of these other businesses and to start on because they in turn generated money and increased my revenue, which then allowed me ultimately to have more income, more savings, while still fueling that next business, that next growth. So that's the money part. In terms of hours in the day. Yeah. Okay. The money part in the long run, honestly, you showed up, it was the easy part, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because if you're profitable, you have money to reinvest. If you're profitable, banks are willing to give you startup loans for whatever your next business idea is. Mm-hmm. You already have a proven track record. So money ultimately turns out not to be the rate limiting step. The rate limiting step is really that balancing act of, as, as you and I talked about before, they're only 24 hours in the day. Yes. Right? So the more people I bring on, the more businesses I have, the more people I have to manage, right? And then I have three kids and I have a husband and somewhere in there has to be time for me. Yes, yes. It's the, how do you juggle that? And exactly. so I, I think for me, there were a number of ways that I, I work through that. Number one is figuring out what you can delegate. Okay. Um, There are things that really required me to do it. There are a bunch of things that didn't really require me to do it. And being able to know enough to figure out what you can outsource and what you can't 
right, is, is a big step. To that end, let me say that on the business side, like for example, my practice had 50 employees. Okay. But I knew enough about the business. I had learned the business when I was when it was small, right? Because in the beginning I was the chief cook and bottle washer. Right. <laughs> right. That as I added each person, I knew what tasks they had to do. Right. So even when we got to 50 people and we had a practice manager and there was somebody who managed the clinic staff and there's somebody who managed the front office staff, I knew enough to know what questions to ask to be able to manage the managers, but not have to manage every last person down the line. Okay. Right. The same thing was true at home. Right. I, I you know, basically understood that I had these three little kids and there were certain things that I really wanted to do. I really wanted to be at every practice. I really wanted to be at every rehearsal. I really wanted to be able to go to that parent teacher meeting. On the other hand, I really did not need to serve lunch in the lunch line. Right, okay. right. And, and so instead of feeling guilty about all the things that I, I didn't do or sorry about that or couldn't do, um, that let me spend my energy on the things that are really important. And the other stuff, no, nobody really cared about. And I have to tell you, my kids are now 24, 26, and 28. And I'll, I'll be very honest with you. Was there a point where somebody said, oh, mom, I, I don't understand why you weren't one of the lunch ladies. Yeah, I have one child who said that. But that, that same child now says, yes, but you were at all of these things, okay? And by juggling everything, we were able to go on amazing vacations. We were able to do, and she'll give you a laundry list of things that if I had been at lunch, probably couldn't have done. Couldn't have done, exactly, yes, yeah. Right? And then there's the, how do you, you know, make time for you? And, and this is where you have to give yourself permission. Right, right. Um, and, and my children will tell you that I got to the point where I would say to them, I need a half hour on the elliptical before you talk to me. Yeah. I'd walk in the door and I'd say, I'm going to walk on the elliptical now. I'll talk to you in a half hour. And they came to learn that if they talk to me before then, they're probably going to have their heads bitten off. <laughs> I needed that 30 minutes to decompress from what I left. Right, right. right? Whatever the, the, the trial and tribulation of the day was. Absolutely. And by having that 30 minutes of me alone, I could then come out from my bedroom, off of the elliptical, ready to face the evening and do whatever homework or whatever we needed to do that day. Right. Because I didn't feel like- Twice a month, whatever, right? Um, then the second thing is priorities. Be very clear what your priorities are. Like it or not, put yourself on top of that list because when you fill your bucket, then you're able to take care of others and not snap their heads off. And, you know, a lot of it is also being very mindful of how, because I see that sometimes there's the scattering of energy, you know, and people are coming home and charting late at night and 
all these this drama that goes on almost right and it's like listen if you can figure out systems because it is it's a system management process right our life is a system management process take your life as a project if you were a project manager how would you design your life how, what time would you wake up what would you do would you ex, you know get it all down and even with patients yes they can be chatty yes we can be chatty but there are ways like to learn how to allow the patient to feel like they were heard and yet not take make a 15 minute appointment become a 45 minute one right i mean we there yes the pressures keep mounting day by day but ultimately you still do get to control what's happening in that exam room and how you're charting like get your dragon systems up in place you know if you can afford it hire a scribe right like this all these little pieces because i just feel you know sandy you and i talked about this maybe we practiced in a little bit different era of medicine but we had our challenges too right absolutely but yeah. i, I I will tell you a couple of things about that. I mean, I, I was a chronic pain doctor. So that population is about as challenging as it gets. So couple okay, of things. Yeah. <laughs> number one, you know, and I'm going to sound like the house of God. Remember that the patient is the one with the problem. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And I think that it, it can be very tempting to take on their problem as your own right? You can be empathetic, you can offer solutions. But at the end of the day, when you walk out of the room, you have to figure out how um, to compartmentalize, right? I, I will tell you that I, I think part of my success at every stage in life, including the fact that my father died when I was six, okay, um, is I basically take things, put them in a box, and then put them up on the shelf, so to speak. And then when I'm ready to deal with them, I take it back off the box. But you cannot be busy dealing with all of these things all at the same time because you will exhaust yourself. Right. So, you know, remember the patient is the one with the problem. Don't get sucked in. Number one. Num number two, you know, it, well, let's talk about patients for a second and, and strategies, right? Mm -hmm. It's all yeah. about coming up with a process of strategy. Right. My staff and I knew who was that patient who no matter how hard I would try was going to turn that 15 minute into a 40 minute visit. Right. So we actually made a note and booked that patient appropriately. Yes. Right? We also had a running system where we knew that we could not have more than a certain number of those patients in any one day. Right. Okay. Because otherwise, A, I'd be late and B, I'd be exhausted. Right. <laughs> I mean, we would say, look, there's no way that Mr. Jones can come on the same day with Mrs. Smith because we'll all shoot each other. Right. <laughs> right. But, but if you're in practice enough, long enough, Right? And these are established patients of, of yours. You should be able to figure that out. I guess right? the question I would ask is, you, you know, you, the response you're going to get from the employed physicians, right? They're going to be like, we have no control over our schedule. The front office person overbooks, double books, triple books. We, you know, nobody's listening to us. Our MA doesn't do anything we tell them to do. 
What is your sort of response to that, you know, to people who, for whatever reason, either choose to or are forced to be in an employed situation where they're asked to see like 30 patients a day or that kind of stuff? But but hold on, I've had employed physicians, right? I mean, the docs, when I first hired them, were employed physicians. True. Okay. Yes. So I, I think the answer is you actually have to be able to advocate for yourself. This like business, that. this business of, oh, woe is me. They don't listen to me. I can't do this. Yes, if you come in and you present this as a whiner and say, oh, I can't see this many patients, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that that's not going to go very far. On the other hand, if you can arti- articulate to the scheduler, to your MA, okay, look, it, it benefits all of us if we make this change, that change, and the other change. As a matter of fact, my uh, chairman, uh, when I first became an attending, told me something that has stuck with me for now 30 some odd years and I, I will pass on. And that is, don't come to me with a problem. Come to me with a solution. solution. Yes. Okay? Yes. And I, I think if you're an employed doc and you're listening to this conversation and you're thinking to yourself, but I don't really have that control, I will make you a bet that if you went to your MA or to that scheduler and said, you and I both know that when Mr. Jones comes and he takes up 40 minutes for a 15 minute visit, and then I'm running late, every other patient is pissed off and they take it out on you and the front right. desk, okay? Right. Because everybody in that clinic setting is going to suffer because of those issues. And so, if you present them with a way that they can modify the situation, you'll still see the same number of patients. It's not like you're not gonna see them. You're just going to reconfigure how things work, but you do it, you suggest to them a process that actually improves your clinic flow. Mm -hmm. They're gonna buy in because the scheduler doesn't wanna deal with that patient cursing them out on the phone. Your front office desk doesn't want to deal with the people in the waiting room going, where is Dr. So-and-so? Why are they so late? I've been here forever, right? (laughs) Or the MA who's like, oh my God, they've called 45 different times. Okay, all of that is preventable. (laughs) But you you have to empower yourself to create a system that solves the problem. And that is true whether you own the business or you're you're an employed doc. Right. Because ultimately, by providing a better patient care experience, you will make your job less stressful. 100%. I love that. So true. So true. Spot on. (laughs) Um, So Dr. White, can you tell our audience a little bit about how you're actually helping uh, physicians right now with like setting up and running businesses, because I think that's where you, your, your sort of strength and your zone of genius is right now, right? Yeah, so basically, as I talked to you about before we got on this podcast, I am now teaching physicians essentially how to take control, right? And that can be 
how to figure out the best employed opportunity, how to negotiate your best contract. But really, it, my passion is about how do you start a practice? How do you most efficiently run that practice? Like I just described to you, right? <laughs> in, in a nutshell, how do you grow it? How do you leverage it into these multiple ancillary or related businesses so that in the end, you work smarter instead of working harder? And, you know... One of the things that I want to point out is that I initially did not start building all of these related businesses for money. It really was for freedom and control. And by doing it, I had control over my own schedule. I had control over the fact that I was able to make money without my physically having to see every single patient. Right. Right. And, you know, like people now are like, oh, I'm going to do concierge medicine. I'm going to do DPC. Okay. All of that's great, but you need to think of ways that you generate money from your medical practice without you physically having to touch every single human being. Mm. And that's what those ancillary or related services does for you. Right. But in doing that, it wasn't about money. It was about the fact that I could make it to every single soccer practice. It was about if somebody said, hey, mom, can you come and do this for a day? I had the flexibility to take that day off mm -hmm. and still make the same amount of money as if I had been there. Right. I think it comes back to exactly, you know, coming back full circle, Sandy, it's about your priorities. And it's very clear throughout this conversation that your priority first and foremost was being the very best possible mom being very present to your three children and so when you kept that you know because sometimes I think you know, there's so much noise in the space and they're like oh that person is doing this and this person is doing that and it can be very tempting but at some point if we all could just sit down and just think about literally write down a list of what our priorities are and you know Sandy we kind of talked about it a little bit too right like it's like the five regrets of the dying, right? Nobody ever said, oh, I wish I'd worked harder. And nobody ever said, I wish I'd made more money. You don't take it with you when you leave this world and you don't need much to be happy. And so if you can focus on what your priority, and beautiful because for you, your priority, just like for me, was my family, was my kids. You know, they grow up so fast. They just, they're like gone in a whiff, right? And here we are spinning our wheels, doing God knows what and at the end of the day, do we want to reach, you know, reach the end of our life and look back and go, you know, I wish I had done it this way, right? Like at the end of the day, and we have that control as physicians, we're smart, we're intelligent, we work hard, but we can get very easily sucked into some of the shiny objects that are out there. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and to that end, I, I just want to say one thing about this whole side gig thing. Please do. I think that people get in, there are, are physicians who are getting incredibly distracted yes with, with side gigs okay and the illusion that they're going to get rich quick or make money outside of medicine doing them whatever side gig you have it is going to take time and energy from you okay and 
unless it's something that you already know a lot about, you're, there's going to be a learning curve, just like with medicine, okay? And so I think to your point, it is really about having a very clear focus on what are my goals, what are my priorities, and how do I best get there? And, and my concern with this whole pressure to come up with a side gig is that it actually takes people off on a tangent and just adds one more thing for them to juggle. I agree. I agree. I mean, it's like, I like how you said you made sure your gig, your main gig <laughs> was what you were focusing on, right? Your main gig was your practice. You decided to invest in it. You decided to grow it and you've done well. I mean, you retired at 53. That, that in itself is a sign of, of uh, doing, doing well. I mean, that's kind of what people are working toward to have that freedom and flexibility like you've mentioned before. And yet, and so, you know, when I started, I was like, but you know, Dr. Weitz, we can't have it all. And you said, sure we can. And I was like, wait, what? But you, you've demonstrated it, right? Like how, how you can have it all, but you do it the way you said it, right? But also, I think the point that I want people to hear is I didn't sacrifice all the way until I got to 53 in order to achieve what everybody says is fire or fat fire, right? It wasn't right. like I waited to 53 to get financially independent and retire early. I had the freedom from the time I was 36 years old yeah. and raising a two or four and a six-year-old through their entire childhood and adulthood until now, it gave me that freedom. You don't have to postpone that. I love that message. On the way there. I love that message. It's not like you're deferring whatever till you're 53 or 55 or whatever. You can have it. It's just making sure that, because we all, like you've said, we all only have certain amount of time in the day. You know, we have a certain amount of energy and it is so important to be mindful of what we're doing every single moment. And you're right. You know, I was looking at the real estate investing and I thought, this isn't for me. I, I'm not even like the amount of research that has to go into this and getting tenants in and evicting them. It just sounded like so much work. I was exhausted thinking about it. And I was like, yeah, nope, not doing that. <laughs> it, this is exactly the problem though. Yes. It is work. Okay. Yes. I'll, I'll come back to my mom. May she rest in peace. There is no such thing as free lunch. All right. <laughs> all right. Every get rich quick scheme that you think there is when you actually get down to it requires a tremendous amount of time and effort. Okay. And so, you know, the idea that, I, I, and the real estate makes me laugh because it does. I mean, I own real estate. It takes time and effort and it has a role, all right? It, it, if you want to go that route, but to think that somehow, oh, I'm going to use real estate and all of a sudden, you know, that's going to solve all of my issues no, nothing is going to solve all of your issues other than hard work. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, you have to do the work. And so the more, what, what I can't remember the exact expression. It is, you know, it's about being a jack of all trades. You can be a jack of all trades and good at none. None, exactly. Yes. Right? yes. Or you can really- energy 
versus being focused on a goal and pursuing that. And if you can make medicine your focus goal, because you all went into medicine probably for the reason of being a good doctor, and right? So why not invest in that? Do all the things that we've talked about, like get your, whether you're an employed physician or you're running your own practice, put in that time and effort and energy to grow that, right? And then if you have bandwidth or interest in some side gig or the other, I, I guess that's fine, but that should be really more, I mean, that's why it's called a side gig. <laughs> right it's not the main thing that you're you know but if you're wanting to yeah so no I like that I like I like how you said that and um so well that was so much fun I'm probably going to have to have you come back again because I know we still have a ton more things to discuss but um thank you so much for being with us Dr. White um as we're wrapping up can you let our audience know where they can find you how they can reach out to you, how they can follow the work that you're doing to help other physicians? Sure. So I have a podcast like you. It's called the Private Medical Practice Academy. I also have a Facebook group by the same name. You can always find me by email, drwhites at drsandrawhites.com or a website by the same name, which is www.drsandrawhites.com. Perfect. So you so much for having me. Of course, that was so much fun. I really enjoyed it. Some great words of wisdom and, um, you know, very practical advice and tips to our physician colleagues that we're in and we're both doing this just to help you all just to share our thoughts, share our experiences and hoping to make you all feel like this is really a worthwhile thing to do. But uh, I love I loved everything you said. So thank you so much, Dr. White, for being on my show today. Thank you. Thank you.